Let me just for a second here. So Jesus, Mark tells us simply, Jesus has gone back home for a while. Okay? And, and this is what happens when, when Jesus has gone back home for a while, maybe to rest or whatnot. Guess what? There's a crowd of people that come together. A crowd of people come together again so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him. His family's around. They go out to restrain him. For people were saying, he's gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem, he's being followed around, right, by the secret police, so to speak. Scribes followed him from Jerusalem. They said, he has Beelzebul, and by the ruler of the demons, he cast out demons. And he called to them, or he called them to him, and, and he spoke to them in parables. He said, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. But his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, he has an unclean spirit. Then his mothers and his brothers came and and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. The crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, here, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Open up our ears, O Lord, may your Holy Spirit be our teacher, may we hear the gospel, may our lives be transformed because of what we hear and how we, through the power of your Holy Spirit, act upon it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This morning we have a text in front of us, it's it's thematically, it has some resonance, some similarity with the with the text from the Gospel of Mark that we contemplated last Sunday, if, if you were here last Sunday. Last Sunday, Jesus heals on the Sabbath, and he is opposed by the religious leadership. In the midst of the conflict over whether or not one is supposed to do the work of healing on the Sabbath, Jesus shows them the untenableness of their position by asking them, is it right to save life or to take life on the Sabbath? 
passage in front of us this morning has even more absurdity on display that Jesus quickly points out. As the religious leaders, they're, they're unable to deny that Jesus is healing people right and left. Well, then they, then they pull out this really incredible idea, this bizarre charge. It's sort of like you know when you're out of ammunition when you resort to de- demonizing people, right? They pull out this bizarre charge that the source of his healing power does not come from God, the maker of all life, but the source of his healing power, they say, comes from the devil. From the devil, the destroyer of all life. I am really struck by what our text this week and our text last week have in common. They show what we human beings are capable of. We are capable of opposing and sometimes do oppose the work of God in our midst simply because the work comes to us in a way that upsets our view of how the world is supposed to work. In the historical context that text last week and the text this week are situated, we have a group of people, the Pharisees, who enjoy a kind of hegemony of power in the community. And what comes with that for them is that in their mind, they imagine that they know pretty much for certain what kind of people God favors. Who God favors, who God doesn't. And then along comes Jesus, and Jesus favors, in their view, all the wrong sorts of people. Jesus, who heals bodies right and left and speaks words of grace that sound like they are from the very heart of God. In the face of the Pharisees, signals that God's welcome works differently than theirs. Those who have put themselves forward as gatekeepers. Well, the gatekeepers are not having it. Their opposition from last week to this week has moved beyond the absurdity of quibbling over whether it is a violation on the Sabbath to heal or not. They have moved beyond that to the literal demonization of their opponent, Jesus, as we observed just a moment ago. I alluded to this a little bit last week, but I want to bring it up again here because it's important. It puts a little bit of a finer point on this. It's really worth paying attention to the fact that Jesus is not being opposed simply because he's doing something new and didn't check with the right people first. Now, that's certainly part of what's going on here, okay? But the thing that those in power really don't like is that Jesus is pointing towards a new community 
that will be shaped and controlled not by self-appointed gatekeepers, but will be open to all who are drawn by the Spirit to partner with God's work in the world as revealed in Jesus Christ. And Jesus confirms that their worst nightmare is true. Jesus confirms that they do not control who God accepts and welcomes. And that's what he's saying here when he says, Here, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother, sister, and mother. This is not Jesus being mean to his family. Jesus loves his family. This is Jesus saying, the vision of what God is about to do and forming a new community is beyond the imagination of anybody here. And I want to take just a moment of an aside here. Think with me just a moment about what it says of the human heart that sometimes our worst nightmare can be that we feel we are losing control of what God is doing in our midst. I mean, when you break it down and you look at the dynamics that are going on between Jesus and the religious leaders, it all boils down to them in a combination of fear and not wanting to lose control over their version of controlling what God is doing in the world. That is a chilling thing to think about, that that's how the human heart works, that sometimes our worst nightmare can be that we're losing control over our own version of how we fancy ourselves as gatekeepers. And there's something there for each and every one of us. No matter how you line up on the continuum of, of, uh, of how you see yourself as a faithful Christian. Maybe you see yourself as really progressive. Maybe you see yourself as pretty moderate. Maybe you see yourself as very conservative. There's something in here for all of us to be sobered by. That in the human heart is this capacity to fancy ourselves as gatekeepers and for our worst nightmare to be, oh, I'm, it's slipping out of my hands. <laughs> wow. But now I want to shift gears. When we look at the scene in front of us from the vantage point of, of what the human heart is capable of, the scene is bleak and chaotic. If a <laughs> Now I'm going to talk about something I don't know anything about, and everybody said, amen. What a good idea. It's not real serious, though. But you know, I just imagine a director, right, you know, dramatizing the scene in Mark and saying, okay, here it is, bleak and chaotic. Feel it, bleak and chaotic. I mean, when you read that, it feels bleak and chaotic. And as someone who's prone to anxiety and even anxiety attacks, this scene that we just read from the Gospel of Mark a minute ago, man, does it push all of my buttons. All of my buttons. The religious leaders, 
man, if I have a bunch of religious leaders, and I've had them before, say that they don't like what I think, it freaks me out, okay? Totally freaks me out. If they say I'm in league with the devil, then I'm probably having a full-on anxiety attack. My family is yelling at me, and they say they think they've lost, that I've lost my mind. Oh, man, that's a bad day. I got the religious leaders saying I'm in league with the devil. I've got the fa- my family saying that they're pretty sure that maybe I'm not in league with the devil, but at least I've lost my mind. And then I'm thinking, oh, man, get me out of here. Get me out of here. I'm dating myself right now, but completely bizarre. Talk about, like, the weird ways that your mind works. <laughs> I, the, the, the thing I thought of right away was two things. Um, one of which is, you know, tell something about, you know, where I would think I would be able to relax. Like, oh, man, this is happening. It's like the worst day ever. Take a chill pill. Get me on a plane to the tropics somewhere. But really, the first thing that came to my mind which is not theologically significant at all. But in the 70s, they had these incredibly cheesy commercials and these really stressed out people, it's the 70s, they're usually women, are having like the worst day ever. And then it says, Calgon, take me away. <laughs> all right, not, most of you never heard of that. But <laughs> I think it interrupted my mother's soap operas that she had on. And I think that's why I remember the commercial. But the point is, that's the kind of day where you want to get out of town. But in the midst of all this chaos, and under a cloud of darkness, Jesus' voice is a voice of calm and hope. Think about that for a minute. This scene is utter and complete chaos, except for one thing. Jesus' voice is a voice of calm and hope. Jesus is not daunted in the face of his opposition. Jesus knows, as he says himself, or as is said about him in the Gospels, Jesus knows the human heart. And what it is capable of. But he also knows that his mission will accomplish the new community that he offers a glimpse of here. In his metaphor that he uses, you know, of a, of a new family. And he knows that this new community will be powered by the freedom of the Spirit and that it will be welcoming to all people. And moreover, he knows that the welcome of this new community will also be extended even and especially to those people who sometimes, out of fear, insecurity, and what have you, have opposed his very work and his very welcome. Remember, the earliest sermon in the book of Acts is in Jerusalem to this very audience who were complicit in Jesus' crucifixion, and the message is an appeal to them. It's an appeal to them to come into the presence of the risen, crucified Lord to repent of their horrendous acts so that they might experience God's radical welcome and absolute forgiveness.
That's why Jesus, in the midst of this chaos, can be a voice that points forward to a future where enemies can become reconciled and where the gospel transforms the human heart, even the darkest parts of the human heart. So I want to leave you with this thought this morning. As we said, the scene in front of us in our reading is quite dark. But it bends towards a hopeful future precisely around the promise of this new community that welcomes all people. The very nightmare of the gatekeeper in all of us is fully susceptible to being transformed by Jesus in his hands into a dream of a community where all of us in all of our sinfulness learn to welcome our neighbors in all of their sinfulness and brokenness. It's a place where we learn to sing not nobody's fault but yours, but nobody's fault but mine. I was with, uh, I was at General Senate in Grand Rapids uh, the end of last week, and, and I got the text from Davin that we were doing nobody's fault but mine at communion, and I was with uh, some other pastors, and I said, oh man, this is awesome, we're doing nobody's fault but mine at communion, and, and the elder delegate who was with us from City Church in Philly, it happens to be a composer and a musician, and he just looks at me and he says, Blind Lemon Jefferson, that's sort of the quintessential version. And it is, by the way, I've always thought the quintessential communion song, too. <laughs> and then we started geeking out about our favorite version. I said, Sister Rosetta Tharp, I got a cut. And now I have a new favorite version, wherever Michelle is, but uh, the one this morning. The gospel and, uh, you know, is able to transform, you know, each of us in these moments of darkness when we come to confess that it really is nobody's fault but ours. And that is the picture of the gospel kind of writ large, if you will, like a micro uh, cosm example or, or a little micro version of it. That's the gospel. It, the, this community of people who, when left to our own devices, we would absolutely demonize each other. We would exclude each other. We would judge each other, and so on and so forth. But he, here's the good news. And really, I I was so grateful for this. Something just came upon me as I was working through this text because it is so bleak and dark. But I really think it's irresponsible to walk away from this text without coming to this conclusion. In the hands of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit, the broken community of the church of the risen Lord 
can be and is a sign of hope to a world who so desperately needs a vision of a hopeful future. We need a vision of a hopeful future to rescue us from the increasing nightmarish dystopias that we see played out in front of us all the time. May God's Spirit take each of us and shape us as individuals and shape us as a community that bears witness to the only sort of community that, to you know, riff on what Caleb says at communion, the only meal that satisfies belongs to the only community that truly satisfies. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, may we have the grace and mercy to live into that reality. Amen.